We study billionaires, and this is episode 86 of the Investors Podcast. Broadcasting from Bel Air, Maryland, this is the Investors Podcast. They'll read the books and summarize the lessons. They'll test the waters and tell you when it's cold. They'll give you actionable investing strategies. Your host, Preston Pish and Stig Broderson. Hey, how's everybody doing out there? This is Preston Pish, and I'm your host for The Investor's Podcast. And as usual, I'm accompanied by my co-host, Stig Broderson, out in Denmark. In this episode, we continue our discussion with best-selling author of the Hits Fund Wizards book series, Jack Swagger. And I'll kick it off with the first question. So one of the critique that value investors often have about traders are that how can they use fundamentals? Because uh, they might be intraday traders, so they might do, as you say, like 500 trades a day. I also know that when you are a trader, you can actually look at real fundamentals that might change within a day, within an hour, and still make rational trading decisions. So could you please provide some examples of how traders use fundamentals? Sure. Well, and I put this in some of my analytic, you know, my trading books that I write for myself, not just the the books I've interviewed people. And it comes in the market wizard books as well. And that is that applying fundamentals to trading. Let me back up here for one second. I'll just throw this out on the side because it's just a good example. And then I'll go to the other point. But to make the distinction. So from my own perspective, it's not for everybody. But for the most part, if I'm trading and I trade, I go for periods depending on how busy I am or what else I'm doing. Sometimes I'm trading, sometimes I'm not. Last few months I've been trading or whatever. But when I trade, if I put on a position, I'll put a stop in. I'll put it whether I'm long, I'll trade futures, basically. My trading is from futures. If I go long or short, whatever it is, when I enter the trade, I put in a stop, which kind of defines my approximate worst loss. And I, so I don't have to think about it anymore. And, and that's... One of the things I got out of the books, it goes back to your other question, what I get out of the books. One of the big things I got was from, from Bruce Kovner, who said, uh, always decide where you're getting out before you get in. And his point was, because that's when you have objectivity. And that's great advice. And so I do it myself. And so I always, I put in literally the order is a Elbane order to either at a limit or a market to get in. And attached to it is uh, with a good to cancel stop. And that's, it's paired. It's part of the same trade. So that's for a trade. Okay. And that's, that's one approach. But there's then the things which I might consider an investment. So here's an example. Some months ago, I had kind of, well, actually, maybe it wasn't some months ago. It was probably last year, sometime late last year. I had gone through the stock market and I was like thinking, well, let me write down some levels of some stocks where just put in orders where I think there would be big support, where if they went down there, I'd buy them. And I look at markets, which are sectors which are out of favor, because everything rotates and where your really best opportunities come when sectors are completely out of favor. Well, China was slowing down. Or you can always find your reasons. I don't care what the reasons were, but like X, XME and that whole, all the metals, oils, everything was like going down. So for, for energies and, uh, and metals, and for some of those uh, ETFs, I like big numbers. And, and X, XME, I put some very, very low numbers and they actually got hit. It might have been between 14 and 12. And I picked them on technical reasons. I think if it gets down there, I don't care. I mean, I went back in 2008. In 2008, it hadn't gotten that low. And whatever. So I thought if it goes down there, I'll hold it. It's an ETF. It's some multiple uh, equities. I don't care. I'll hold, I, I don't care if it goes to zero. I mean, I do care, but I think it's not going to go to zero. I'll hold it for years. It doesn't make a difference. That's an example of an investment. So for me, that was, I figured, hey, XME, you know, the, the uh, metals ETF goes from 50 to 12, 
it's going to have value eventually. I'll just hold on to it, that type of thing. So that's an example of, of, of an investing trade. So that's, I have no stop on that. You know, I don't want to buy it at 12 and get, put a stop at 10. That's not the point. I'm not worried about how that's an example. So that's the mentality of an investment because you're buying something where you figure it has intrinsic value and it's very, very low relative to its potential long-term range and you buy it and you hold it until things change. And that's, but from a trading, from a trading standpoint, you owe, it's the opposite. You want to have your risk, your risk control. So a good way to kind of synopsize what you just said there, would it be, you're really kind of trading the volatility for a short-term profit, but you're doing it in something that you don't mind holding for five years, six years, because you know the intrinsic value of the long-term trend is eventually going to basically save you or pull you out in the event that it just continues to move against you for a long period, call it three months, four months or something like that. It's moving against you. you just, you're just not losing any yeah. sleep over because you're really in it and something that you know is going to have a long-term value for yourself. Yeah. It has to be like the type of thing where you say, I'll hold it to zero type of thing. Yeah. Um, but you don't do that. In fact, you only do that for a small portion of, you know, you don't put all your money in something like that, but you can do that selectively. You do it in things which have, why didn't ET, why was doing that with ETFs? Because they're multiple stocks. So, I mean, you could pick a mining stock and it can go broke for whatever reason, who knows. But if you buy a basket of stocks for an ETF, you're not exposed to that. Before, there was a very interesting question about fundamentals, using fundamentals of trading. This is a point, I, don't, I never hear anybody else make this, and I have put it in my own books, but I think it's really true. And when it comes to fundamentals, the way fundamentals are most useful to trading now, not investing. Now, I believe people can use fundamentals to invest an example I gave is maybe like a way you could use it, right? But for trading, where, I'm t- where you're taking more of an in-out, you know, more leverage-type position, there, the value of fundamentals is not what the, with the fundamentals. It's fundamentals where the market acts opposite to the fundamentals. So it's not it's – a con- it's a contrarian use of fundamentals. So it's a matter of fundamental news comes out. It should have the market going up and the market barely budges or it goes down. So let's just talk about the current conditions right now. So we're in the we're in uh, April 24th, 2016. You're seeing all these companies miss their earnings. Earnings are just going through the floor for all these companies. You'd make the argument that the fundamentals are bad. You would think the multiples would trade lower and the market screams back to almost its highs that it's been seeing. So in that situation... Everyone can kind of relate to that because everyone's actually seeing that in their account right now. Talk to us about your example so that we can kind of apply. Yeah, so trader, you know, the trader's perspective would be that hey, you know, earnings are coming out, stock should go down. It's not. It's going. It's going up. So it's not like what an investor's perspective or what maybe a novice investor's perspective would be. Hey. The stock's going up and the news is bad. It's even a better, you know, I mean, it's even a better sell, you know, it's something like that. But a trader's standpoint is, hey, the stock is kind of, you know, looks like it's high. News has come out. It should have gone down. It's going up. I don't know, you know what's going on. I don't care what's going on. The market is telling me it's going up. So it's when fundamentals do the opposite of what's expected that's important from a trading perspective. Yeah, I think it's a, it's a great example, uh, Jack. And if I could just come up with a really simple example. So whenever I was, I think I've, I've mentioned this a few times on the podcast, but I used to be a commodities trader, being one of those doing like 500 trades a day, which seems 
strange since I now feel I'm over trading because I did like one trade, I don't know, eight months ago. But whenever I was trading, I was looking at, uh, at the weather. So I was a power trader. I was looking at the price of electricity. And given how much demand and how much supply that were coming out of the market, uh, there was a given price that the market believed would be the correct price. So I would be sitting and look at fundamentals. I'd be looking at the weather and says, well, okay, if there's more wind coming in, that means there's more supply, which means that everything else equal, the price should go down. What Jack is saying is that there was a variety of different ways but really, it's just a question of what does the market expect in the short run and what is really happening. And you can actually do that with fundamentals, even though it sounds strange to a value investor that you do have fundamentals within, within an hour or two hours. In most cases, fundamentals, fundamentals ultimately determine markets. Direction, obviously, markets will just go up or down for no reason, but they can take a long time. And fundamentals work, but they work broadly. They're very blunt instruments. They can't be used for timing. They can be used to, for investors. They can be used for taking positions and holding it for years. So I've put that like, you know, that, that, that's how they can be used. But they can't be used for saying, oh, here's fundamental news. It's bullish. That means I should buy. That doesn't work unless it's a complete surprise, in which case then the market may respond in the direction. But then, of course, it'll respond so quickly, you can't take advantage of it immediately. But the thing is, in most cases, the real value. If you're going to use them for timing, it's in a contrary fashion. That's the main point I'm trying to make. If you use them for investing, you use them the way, the logical way, so to speak. If you use them for trading, you use them contrary. Let's take a quick break and hear from today's sponsors. Don't just ride the index. Seek to outperform it with Fidelity Active ETFs. Learn more at fidelity.com slash active ETFs. Before investing in any exchange-traded fund, you should consider its investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Contact Fidelity for a prospectus, an offering circular, or if available, a summary prospectus containing this information. Read it carefully. While active ETFs offer the potential to outperform an index, these products may more significantly trail an index as compared with passive ETFs. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC, member NYSE, SIPC. Our friends at Coriant provide wealth management services centered around you. Coriant's goal is to exceed your expectations and simplify your life. Coriant has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. They are one of the largest integrated fee-only U.S. registered investment advisors, and Coriant has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. They have extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. The teams at Coriant put the collective power of their expertise into building you the custom wealth, investment, and family office solutions that can help you reach your holistic financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, speak with an advisor today at Coriant.com. That's spelled C-O-R-I-E-N-T dot com. That's Corient dot com. When Rain Wilson had a great idea, he turned to AT&T Business. They assured him no matter how out there his idea may be, they had his back. So he came up with this, a talking pillow designed to put you to sleep, backed by a reliable network in the only network with built-in security controls. And thus, Sleep With Rain was a hit. Take your business to the next level at business.att.com. That's business.att.com. All right, back to the show. 
So, Jack, I was going to ask you a question right now about Edward Thorpe, but we already talked about Edward in, in the first question. So what I'm going to do is just kind of amend this a little bit. And sure. two people, two billionaires that we talk about on our show a lot are Stanley Drunken Miller and Ray Dalio. And you've interviewed both of these guys. Which one of those two guys would you rather talk about during this question that you found maybe a little bit more interesting than the other or that you think might have a little bit more of an interesting discussion? Well, is there a particular question about? Yeah, because uh, I'm going to ta- I'm going to tailor the question more towards. Well, you give the- me the question, then I'll pick which one I'll use. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, then let's talk about uh, Dalio's risk parity. I know that in your interview it hinted at the idea that he said this one thing is the the holy grail of investing. And I would like for you to kind of talk to our audience about that interview with Ray Dalio, where it took place, kind of like what it was like in his office, what his personality was like, and then a little bit about risk parity and this holy grail to investing. Well, the Bridgewater is sort of this uh, huge hedge fund, but more with a thousand people. So they have a large office complex uh, in Connecticut. And uh, Dalio's office in particular, it's a nice bucolic Connecticut setting. There's like a stream outside and it's so the, the, the nice vibe to it. Dalio himself was kind of a terse guy, I would say. Uh, I don't know if he's like that for everybody, but he, he did give me the interview. We did meet twice, but it was like I was scheduled. You know, I was scheduled for one interview, scheduled for the other interview, and sort of when the time was up, he may have said time was up at the second interview. I yeah, think have, I, think, I think I remember I think reading I think, that. Yeah, I think I remember I think reading. I think I did a job that time's up. You know, it's like the end time going. <laughs> you know, it's like okay, that's it. You got it. You know, that's all. That's all for it. That's all, folks. That was Dalio. Druckenmiller, in contrast, which I interviewed a long time ago, I interviewed Druckenmiller in his uh, New York apartment on some weekend afternoon, and we went on for hours and hours, and he, he had a lot of stories, and it was a long, you know, it was a much longer interview. Although Druckenmiller, I did on one, with one whole sitting. In, in Dalio's case, I did it in two, but I still spent more time with, with Druckenmiller. What Dalio is talking about, the real edge sauce, the real key, and I think this is what you're referring to, is really the, the power of diversification in that if you take a single investment, you have a certain amount of return to risk built in. If you took a lot of equivalent investment, but that were not correlated, or at least partially uncorrelated, you still get the same return, but you drew like this curve, which shows the risk coming down as you add you know, more investments. And so... That's sort of a critical part of it is this diversification element. And, and I kind of, and that's absolutely true. It's not, I don't think that's particularly unique. I think a lot of people understand that, but it is really very core to his whole thinking. And mathematically, it is true. Mathematically, it is, it is absolutely true. That's why, for example, you could take a fund, a multi-manager fund, and if you pick managers who are about equivalent, you have a much better product with a multi-manager fund, fees aside now, but just from a straight investor standpoint. Because if they're all about equivalent, then the return level shouldn't be affected, but your risk goes way down. So uh, that diversification concept is, yeah, in fact, what the, the, the line I probably use myself, and I don't know if it's maybe not, probably not original to me, but I mean, it's kind of a common line is, uh, is diversification is the only free lunch on Wall Street. I got a quick follow-up question because uh, on our show, we've, we had a Jim Rickards. I don't know if you're familiar with Jim Rickards, but we had him on our show just recently. And Jim's you know pushing gold really hard. A lot of people in our audience are kind of listening to that interview and kind of reading a little bit more about gold. And we know Stanley Drunkenmiller took an enormous position in gold. I want to say 
what is it, stick 20%, 25% of his whole portfolio is in gold right now? Yeah, it's significant. Uh, and he also talked about how bass. It's really interesting all these billionaires going to gold right now. So this is a question more to you, Jack, because I know you're a futures guy. I know you, you dig into this stuff. What's your opinion on gold in the next year to three? Okay, so that opinion is based on a technical reading, but I would see people put out studies on, on gold, right? And they'd say, well, gold production, they break down production and they have gold consumption and jewelry and all this. And, you know, I thought to myself, if you, if you look at the numbers, gold is one of these markets where there's never, never a shortage. It can never be a shortage of gold. Why? Because gold gets mined, it gets stored, and there's about 100 times as much gold as used in any given year. All this writing and stuff that goes on about the fundamentals of so-called fundamentals of gold, about what's being produced and what's used, and it's nonsense. It's like 1% of 100. It makes absolutely no difference. Gold is determined by one thing, psychology. It's, it's a pure psychological market. That's it, pure psychology. Now, the psychology could be affected by inflation expectations, relative interest rate levels, currency fluctuations. Those are the types of things that affect gold. The tricky part is they usually... Some of these things usually affect it the same way, but in some cases not. You know, so it's not as simple as just saying, "Well, you know, it, gold will always go up if there's inflationary expectations." Well, it usually will, but not always, maybe. But in any case, it's purely a psychological market. Now, I think it's pretty hard to trade something on trying to anticipate psychology. My opinion is you get the psychology by looking at charts, and in, a, in the case of gold, what you have on the charts is actually a very strong bullish pattern on a, on a long-term basis. Because what gold did is it had this bear move, and after a large bear move, went into this rounding bottom. And that rounding type of pattern doesn't occur that often. It occurs every now and then. But usually when you get a rounding pattern in markets, either bottom or top, and then the market goes like you get a saucer and it pops out of the saucer and keeps on going and maintains it, that usually is a long-term bottom. And so uh, if I had to guess, if you said, hey, here's $100,000, you're going to have to, you know, that you have to put, you have to be long or short, you know, you got to pick one and you got to hold it. And, and you have to hold it for two years, three years. You can't do anything. You have to hold it. Or if you're long or short, you have to hold it. Definitely, I would go long, even though it's gone straight up for recently. So Jack is always really interesting for Preston and I to be able to grow our knowledge with, with our guests. That's something you really value. And we do the same thing from, uh, from our audience. We talked about sh- not showing Japanese yen, the whole thing about independence and having your own strategy. And we think that's super important. I think that goes for all three of us, but we also use other people to, uh, to grow our knowledge. Jack, I know that you recently founded uh, Fundseeder. Could you please explain how you implement the inputs from the community in your own strategy? Okay, so first I have to tell people, most of the audience will not, Fundseed is new, so I'm sure the vast majority of the audience will not know about it. So Fundseeder is not my, was not my original idea. I can't take credit there. It was a, I'm a partner in the firm and the founding partner, uh, Emmanuel Bellari, uh, we have another partner, James Bivings, but he had the idea of using the web as a central source where you could bring together traders worldwide who have trading skill, but are totally unknown and have no way of accessing capital and act as a connecting, uh, as a connection between them and investors who are looking for new trading talent and don't want to you know, invest with the same multi-billion dollar managers everybody else is investing with. 
So that was his basic concept. And the idea was to create a website where traders could post their numbers, not they themselves posted, but they could link their accounts to the website. Therefore, the numbers get verified from the broker. So you create a verified trader base of traders all over the world, just because, not because we're saints or anything like that. Our self-interest is if we can attract unknown uh, or known, but good traders to the site, then we will be able to find them before anybody else does. And then we have a separate company, Fundseeder Investments, that will use the database that we form on, on Fundseeder to select superior traders we find and then package them in individual funds or multi-manager funds and use that product for investors. So that's the basic model. So we act as the connecting link through the two separate companies. The Fundseeder Technologies attracts the traders and gets the verified track records. And then the Fundseeder Investments uses that intelligence to form a superior and completely different product. So Jack, whenever I hear something about measuring the performance of portfolios, I always think it's an interesting conversation because it's really hard to find you know, the right answer to how do you really measure who's doing well. I mean, it's also a question of how much risk are you assuming? So can I ask you, because you've spoken to so many traders and so many investors, how do you measure portfolio performance? I have my own favorite single, my own favorite single measure. Favorite because I think it is in one number captures the essence of return and risk. And it's much better, I think, than, than a lot of other things that they use. So everybody uses the Sharpe ratio, right? That's the, the popular thing. Now, there's nothing wrong with the Sharpe ratio. It's okay. However, there are a couple of drawbacks to the Sharpe ratio, but maybe the biggest drawback of the Sharpe ratio is how it defines risk. The Sharpe ratio says, well, you have your return, you divide it by, uh, by the risk. What's risk? Risk is volatility. Now, here's the interesting thing. Sometimes high volatility is indicative of high risk, but it's not always the case. You could actually, I can give you examples where low volatility is indicative of high risk. And the other part of that is that high volatility is not necessarily bad. Traders don't mind high volatility. I'm not traders, investors. Investors don't mind high volatility. They mind losses. You know, I've been in this business for a long time. I've never had investors say to me, Darn, you made 10% last month. I can't stand that type of volatility. Investors don't mind volatility. They don't like downside volatility. So if that's if you're trying to measure what, the, what risk is the way investors perceive it, why use volatility, a symmetrical volatility measure, which is penalizing strong returns? And then you penalize, you penalize really good managers uh, who will sometimes have very large gains because they really hit it right. Like we're talking about Greenblatt with that Wells Fargo trade. But he structured a trade where if he's wrong, he loses a little bit. And if he's right, he makes a lot. So you're going to penalize it because he's made a lot? Yeah. Let's take a quick break and hear from today's sponsors. If you're looking for the right franchise concept at the right time, an iFlex Stretch Studio franchise is the business for you. iFlex is the newest franchise concept from the founders of the Joint Chiropractic. With over 200 licenses already awarded to our regional developers, there's never been a better time to own an iFlex franchise in your market. 
and iFlex Stretch Studio franchise offers its clients the best in professional-assisted stretching for one affordable price in one beautiful location. Even the Mayo Clinic says stretching can increase flexibility and improve your joint's range of motion, helping you move more freely. Prime regional developer opportunities and franchise locations are going fast. Don't miss this opportunity to get into this rapidly growing health and wellness business from the founders of the Joint Chiropractic. Find out more today. Call 888-994-3539 or visit iFlexPodcast.com. Call right now, 888-994-3539 or visit iFlexPodcast.com. Kyle, you're connected with a ton of different investors and portfolio managers, and you're just really in the know on a lot of these things. How do you keep up with all the day-to-day headlines for your portfolio companies? Yeah, so I used to have a ton of issues with this, and that was until I started using Yahoo Finance. Really? What's so great about it? So Yahoo Finance is awesome. I have my whole portfolio entered and I can easily see all the top headlines to keep up with the recent news. And each day you get an overview of the major global events that might be moving the market. So I'm ready to easily pounce on any opportunities that come my way. What else can you do on Yahoo Finance's platform? They also have a number of cool features, including a tool that lets you link all of your investment accounts, analyst ratings, and independent research, as well as the ability to create customized charts. Well, now I know that the audience is really going to love this one and actually see they have 90 million monthly active users. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com. The number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. As many of you know, I love studying businesses and networking with business owners. The more I've studied businesses, the more I've realized that starting and scaling your business is easier than ever because of companies like Shopify. Did you know that Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S.? Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify even helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. Up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. What I personally love about Shopify is that it's the turnkey solution to kickstart and grow your business. And they are totally committed to giving you the necessary tools to succeed as a business owner. Plus, they have an award-winning customer support team there to help you every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash WSB. That's all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash WSB now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. That's shopify.com slash WSB. All right. Back to the show. Yeah. So, Jack, my question would be: Say that I would be trading, and I would I would want to raise money uh, because I'm doing the best trades, and I can show like real good track records. So, if I was a trader coming to you and say, "Okay, Jack, you need to fund me, or you need to find someone who can fund me because I have a great track record." But you should look at the the Sotinos ratios. Is is that it? Which is basically just the maximum drawdown in a given month or a given time period. Is that a better measure, giving your critique of Sharpe's ratio, or, or, or what do you think? 
Yeah, the, the Sotina ratio is definitely much better. And what I personally use is something to call the gain to pain ratio, which is closer in conceptually much closer to the Sortino, obviously, than the Sharp. And the gain to pain ratio and the Sortino will have a lot, will have a reasonable amount of correlation. I like the gain to pain because it's real simple and it boils things down to its absolute core. So with the gain to pain, the, the defining to people, and I, I guess it's my own measure. There are some things out there like the omega function, which is a curve, which evaluated at, at zero level will give you a same ranking. But as a single statistic, the gain to pain ratio, as far as I know, I was the first one who started writing about or using it. So what the gain to pain ratio is, you take all the monthly returns and you sum them. And then you take only the monthly losses and you sum those. And then you take the first sum, which is the sum of all the gains, so all the total amount of money made, that's net because you've got, you're making some months, you're losing in some months. But if you add all the month's returns, what you basically get is the sum of all the returns you've made. And if you, then you divide it by the absolute value of all the losses. So what you're basically getting is the amount of money gained for the amount of losses suffered during that period. So the more losing months there are, you know, the more, the bigger that denominator will be. The larger the losing months are, the bigger it will be. So you're penalizing exactly what you want to penalize. You're penalizing multiple losing months. You're penalizing larger losing months. And you're really differentiating a track record where the gains are made without a lot of losing months, without big losing months. So basically, that's the concept. It's the amount that it's a total of all returns divided by the total of all the losses, the absolute value of that. That's the ratio. So you can have managers who are riskier than you realize. For example, you get a manager, you look at his track record, and he's got a, let's say he's got a 5% down month. You say, well, eh, 5%, that's not too bad. But hey, how do you know? Well, you know that manager could have been down 25%, just managed to come back and ended up down 5%. If you have daily numbers, there's no place to hide. So if you do a gain to pain ratio of all the days, you take all the days, add them up. You take all the losing days, add them up. You take that ratio, boy, that gives you a microscopic look and it tells you everything. It gives you the positive thing for the return. It gives you the negative thing for every single daily loss that occurred. And that ratio is a powerful number, very simple, powerful number. So that's what I personally use. In my mind, it's the single best, most effective and meaningful and easy to calculate statistics. So that's my favorite statistic. That'd be neat to see that graphed. If you could take that daily snapshot and graph the performance over time, I think yeah, that'd that's be, what we do. That's what. Oh, is it? That's yeah. What does. Yeah. That's the main yeah. thing it does. In fact, I like it because as a trader, you can put your equity, you can look at your equity curve. It's really nice to be able to see your equity curve. You can see when you're starting to go down or whatever. And so that's one of the things. And brokerage companies, as far as I know, they don't offer that. Yeah, they that, probably don't offer it for a good reason because if people started seeing their equity curve, they go down and I close their accounts. I'm, <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just guessing here. I'm not accusing anybody of anything. Well, I'll tell you what, I know there's going to be a lot of people in our audience that are interested in checking this out. So if you are interested in going to Jack's site here that has all this service, please go to our show notes. We're going to have a link there. So just in the event that you forget the name or whatever, just go to our website, go into our show notes. We're going to have that in there. We're going to have all of Jack's books. And let me tell you, as a person who's read multiple of these books, they are just fantastic. And Stig, I know can attest. And if you guys go back, we did a uh, podcast episode. I don't remember what the episode number was, but we did a podcast episode on hedge fund market wizards. And we just love that book. And this is before we knew Jack and before we had Jack on the show. 
And everyone knows that we're pretty honest with our reviews. If we don't like the book, we're pretty upfront and honest about it. So we really enjoyed all of the books that you've written, Jack. And we definitely want the people in our audience, if you haven't read any of Jack's books, you are going to love them. So we're going to have a link to all of his books on Amazon in the show notes. Is there anything else, Jack, that you would like to hand off to our audience that they can learn more about you, a uh, website or anything like that? Well, like I said, the main one is funseater.com. Uh, I also have a, another website, jackschwager.com. I would also throw out that there are narrated versions of, of the Market Wizard books, uh, audio versions. And I'm currently the first time and I've had the opportunity to actually pick the narrator and so one of my Market Wizard books, New Market Wizards, never had, never had the narration done. My agent was great in getting the rights for me. So I went through a process of picking narrators through ACX, which is Connective Audible. And they've got just phenomenal narrators. And it was, I, I was floored. Like I got like, I put up a the, the, the couple of excerpts and I got like 40 people respond. They were all great. There's so many of them were great. And I got it down to 10 and I got it down to four and I got it down to one. And the guy is just doing... He's doing just a knockout job. So this is the best narration of any book I've, I've had of mine, which is coming out in about a month, and that'll be the new market wizards. The fellow's name is DJ Halt. Well, so one of the things that we offer, so we have a deal with Audibles, Jack, through our website. If people go to our uh, onto our website and they use our link for Audibles, they can download their very first audiobook for free using our link. So you might want to even hold off if you want to get your free book or you want to buy it uh, when it comes out in May. It's up to you. But We'll have a link to the Audible's link if people want to do that and get their first book for free. We'll have all of the links to Jack's book. Jack, thank you for your time. I know that you've got a very busy schedule. You do countless things. So to take some time out of your weekend to sit down and chat with uh, Stig and I for an hour and 20 minutes, we are just so thankful and really appreciative. And I know our, our audience is going to benefit from this greatly. So thank you for your time. Well, this was fun because you guys went into, you got a lot of different types of questions. So you get so tired of getting the same questions every all the time. So it's, it's, it's nice to get some from left field. Well, thank you for your time, Jack. Hey, so I want to take this moment just to make a quick announcement to everyone in the audience. So uh, one of the things that Stig and I want to start doing is doing more live events uh, all over the world. So for example, in June 11th, we're going to have an event in Seoul, South Korea. So anybody listening to our show from Asia that's out near South Korea, if you want to link up with us for a, a free dinner event on the 11th of June, and this is coming up in 2016 in Seoul, South Korea, we're going to have a sign-up location on our website at theinvestorspodcast.com where you can go in there, you just basically click on a link, you give us our email address, and then we'll provide you more information about the event. And it doesn't cost anything to sign up. We're just um, You basically pay for your dinner, and that's it. And you guys get to kind of meet us and hang out. So for the one in Seoul, South Korea, it's just going to be me. Uh, Stig's not going to be able to make that one. But we have other events, and uh, if, you, if you're interested in doing this, uh, just go to our website and go to this uh, this page. You'll see it at the very top of our homepage. There's, uh, it's in the drop-down menu and then also um, where we have our priorities for the show. We have a thing where we have one, two, three, and then number three it says uh, link up with us for a live event, and that's where you'd sign up for this. So just a heads up, so in uh, the 16th of July, 2016, where I'm going to be in Huntsville, Alabama. So if you live in Atlanta... Uh, Nashville or anywhere down in that area, feel free to come out. These are all on Saturday nights. 
And then in Baltimore, Maryland, on the 24th of September, there's another event. So if any of those kind of are in your neck of the woods or in your neighborhood, feel free to go to our website, sign up for those, and then we can kind of hang out for a night. So I want to make that announcement. We're going to have a lot more of these coming up in the future. So just kind of stay tuned and keep looking at the tab to see if we're coming to a, a town near you. Thanks for listening to The Investor's Podcast. To listen to more shows or access to the tools discussed on the show, be sure to visit www.theinvestorspodcast.com. Submit your questions or request a guest appearance to The Investor's Podcast by going to www.asktheinvestors.com. If your question is answered during the show, you will receive a free autographed copy of the Warren Buffett Accounting Book. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only. This material is copyrighted by the TIP Network and must have written approval before commercial application. 